introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Alright, and welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Protectors Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And we got the full crew, the original crew, or the second original crew, back together again. Happy days. So let's just jump into this thing, because it is a bit of a late night recording. We're not going to go for too long here, but there are some things we're going to talk about. So let's get to it, Dr. We missed you last week. Eric, how you doing? How you been? Yeah, I but the, the podcast was in was in very capable hands with you and uh Yinka and uh Nick and then our, our old friend Luke. So yeah, old friend. Uh, I don't think I was I don't think I was missed, but uh, I appreciate I appreciate being back and looking forward to chatting Vikings with you guys. I mean, you're always missed. You're always missed. But yes, we did bring back old friend Luke, and you know we may have to do it again at some point. Now that we we know for certain, no lockdowns will be coming out on Fridays. We can just you know scoop them up every now and again and uh, and chat them up. We might have to do just a full fledged reunion one of these days. But uh, Nick, my man, what wholesome activities have you been up to since the last time we spoke? <laughs> Nothing really. Just uh, holding down the fort with the kids and went back to work this week. So that's um, oh. a change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so how was the transition for you? Like, you know, juggling both things actually full time now. Uh, you, you, you feeling still feeling strong, feeling worn down. How are we doing? No, it's good. I mean, it's uh, it's it's tough. I kind of feel guilty because it's nice to be like at work and in my office and just be able to be like, OK, I've got like this task and focus on that task and get it done rather than like have a million things and get interrupted by a lot of stuff. But it's definitely well, good. Every single uh, dad has felt guilty over feeling that way. And <laughs> I can tell you that it's natural and you're, and you're nothing to be ashamed about. Talking to adults. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Well, let's jump into it here. Obviously Eric wasn't around when we, we were getting into some of the things last week, but um, you know, I did want to get, now that we have, you know, this podcast, you guys both on here, I wanted to have another you know, brief conversation about the Stefan Diggs story, some of the things going on there. Not necessarily the, maybe the dramatic aspects of it, but you're really quantifying, I guess, what and who Stefan Diggs is as a player. And then if there's anything to the idea that, you know, Diggs maybe is being used differently or, or anything like that, is there anything that we can see in the numbers that would point to, to reasons outside of, you know, dramatic soap opera type things that would, would, would lead to, uh, to Stefan Diggs, um, you know, being upset with how things are going. So Nick, I'm going to go with you because uh, I'll start with you on this one here, because in, in recent you know, days and weeks uh, you've been pretty direct, pretty forceful in terms of uh, your takes as they pertain to Stefan Diggs. Um, I think that you, I saw a tweet where you referred to him and you can correct me if I'm, if I'm quoting you incorrectly here, but um as like a, a bigger, faster Antonio Brown in his prime, something like that. So uh, help me understand, uh, yeah, I guess, who is Stefan Diggs as a player? 
And then uh, maybe, Eric, you can jump in and, and help us understand, like, is there anything we can actually see in the numbers around Stefan Diggs that would point to him being used differently or, or, or give cause for him to be upset? Yeah, I really think Diggs is one of the better receivers in the NFL. I don't want to get too much into rankings because I can't sit here and say I've watched all of Keenan Allen snaps or Odell Beckham snaps or whatever, but I do think Diggs is, has a good case to be made that he's the best route runner in the NFL. Certainly the way he moves at the breaks at the top of his routes are very unique, kind of has a unique skill set there. Um, and I've seen a lot of smarter football minds than I um, say he's the NFL's best route runner. I, I think I've seen Brad Kelly over at the Draft Network say that, a few other people. So that's one of his um, big talents. And then he's also, he's a um, kind of a, he's very good off his release. He's very fast. He's uh, one of the better receivers after the catch. He always ranks towards the top in terms of force missed tackles after the catch. Uh, he's um, in 2017, he was the number one receiver in terms of contested catch rate. You wouldn't normally think of it because he's like six feet tall and like 190 pounds. But and then in 2018, last year, he was the number two receiver in terms of contested catch rate. So um, just a very talented receiver. Um, and um, I think he has. Uh, a case to be made, you know, he, he stylistically, he's a lot like Antonio Brown. Mike Wallace made that comparison um, when he first saw him in rookie minicamp um, back in 2015 when he was first drafted. So just a very talented receiver in a lot of different ways. Um, and when you put those things together, you know, elite route running, elite at the catch point, elite after the catch, that's a pretty complete receiver. So um, I, I think there's a good case to be made that um, he deserves to be thrown at more, um, which he was getting a lot of targets with DeFilippo last year, but there was an issue. So, um, and that they were using him kind of as an underneath receiver. His average depth of target was something like, um, I think I'm pulling it up now, it was 8.9. That's up this year. It's up to like 13 point something, but um, he's getting a lot less targets because it's a much more run heavy offense. And I think knowing what we know about the pass versus the run, um, the it would be more efficient to be targeting Stefan Diggs rather than handing it off to Dalvin Cook as good as Cook has been this year. So I think that's um, the case to be made, and I think Diggs has a legitimate reason to be upset that there were, were foregoing touches to Diggs and to Thielen in, in favor of Madison and, and Dalvin Cook. All right. And, and Eric, Nick alluded to it there. Like obviously last year, uh, Diggs was getting a lot of targets, but they weren't the, the really high-value targets. I think he was being uh... – not so lovingly referred to as a uh, as, as Stefan Landry at different points uh, throughout the year, just based on how he's being used in that DiFilippo offense. Um, as we come or we fast forward to this year, I guess, what are your thoughts on his usage, where he's being deployed? And uh, I guess, is there a gripe that he actually has outside of artists being a run heavy team? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's, it's tough because if you look at the team, I just don't think they're throwing the ball enough. You look at Irv Smith, for example, he should be getting more targets. I don't think he even had one that counted the other day. He had the one that was negated by a penalty. Um, but that's something I, you know, I'd be concerned about. They're just not throwing the ball enough. And it makes sense. I mean, Dalvin Cook is one of the better backs in the league. I think it still remains true that his yards after contact is like higher through five games than like the Vikings total rushing yards last year through five games. So um, but, you know, ultimately, like the Vikings are going to struggle to beat some of these great teams unless they leverage their great players and they do not have a great player at the quarterback position. They don't have great players on the offensive line. Their defense is such that 
they have some players who have been great, right? Harrison Smith, uh, Xavier Rhodes. Now we're getting great play out of the the front four, uh, especially, you know, Hunter and, and Griffin. But the Vikings great players play wide receiver. And so if you're going to if you're going to expect the Vikings to beat good teams, starting with, you know, the Eagles on Sunday, you have to deploy your best players. And right now, as Nick said, Diggs is going down the he's he's kind of playing the role of like a you know to early 2000s late 90s receiver where they're running the ball a lot and then they're going downfield to him um still averaging about the same amount of yards per catch after the catch he's just averaging more yards per catch you know you know i think i think for for the vikings to be successful they have to just feed him and feel in the ball more as well as irv smith and that is probably going to require them just to be more aggressive and run the foot or pass the football on early downs which they did the other day uh, and Thielen was the main beneficiary of it. Yeah, so Eric, building on that point, and then Nick, you can jump in and give your opinion uh, when, when when Eric's finished with his point there. But um, as you said, they they were a little bit more aggressive passing the ball. And again, as you said, uh, Thielen was the, the beneficiary. And then so you saw a lot of stories, a lot of headlines. You know, Squeaky Wheel gets the grease in terms of, you know, Thielen speaking out directly, Kirk Cousins apologizing and all those things. And then then... Thielen has the huge game. And so I guess the question that I would have for you is in this passing attack, because we often talk about it as being, you know, 1A and 1B when we're talking about Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, or Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, that we have two kind of, you know, quote unquote alpha receivers. Is there anything to the idea that, you know, as this offense has evolved this year under uh, Stefan, excuse me, under, you know, Gary Kubiak and, and Stefanski, that Maybe things are being run a bit more to you know, favor or highlight you know, Adam Thielen or to get him more involved or maybe make him, you know, just a standalone alpha receiver for the team. I'd have to I'd have to go through the numbers specifically, but I also think one of the um, you know, one of the proofs in the pudding that Diggs is probably the alpha of the two is that he gets he often draws the better coverage. We saw, yeah, you know, I believe Jair Alexander followed him around the field quite a bit in the Green Bay game. Uh, I'd have to look back at the Giants. The Giants don't really have any good defensive backs right now, but like, you know, sort of it might. I know Desmond Trufant did in yeah. week one, so that's another and, one. And so that's kind of the, you know, Thielen is the more available guy. I do think that there it might be a better rapport between, you know, uh, Thielen and, and Cousins because he goes directly to him uh, with his concerns. But um, you know, a lot of it is just that he gets the better coverage. And we've seen that historically with the Vikings. I mean, if you look at, you know, back in the day, you saw guys like, you know, Chris Carter once Moss came around. Actually, Jake Reed once Chris Carter came around. Like, the guy, oftentimes a secondary receiver for the Vikings, like Jake Reed led the Vikings in receiving yards for like three years because everybody was focusing on Chris Carter. We saw Nate Burles and Marcus Robinson. All those guys had big years when when Moss is the key, you know, person getting the attention. And so, you know, oftentimes it's not necessarily the yardage or the target totals as a signal, but it's literally what Nick said. We look at the film and these teams give so much respect to Diggs and Cousins isn't exactly going to look back to him when he's the second option. He's not going to look back to him. We saw that in the Bears game. He was wide open, beaten coverage a number of times. And because maybe he wasn't the first read or whatever, Kirk just stared somebody else down. All right. So, so Nick, uh, based on all that, like, well, if you're the offensive coordinator, what are you doing as we move forward? Obviously, I think everyone agrees we need to pass more, but what are you doing to 
get Stefan Diggs more involved, make him feel more a part of, of, of the offense? Or what are the ways that they could be leveraging Stefan Diggs in spite of the coverage he's facing to really maximize the talent that he has? Because you look at an Antonio Brown with the Steelers, everyone knew he was going to get the ball, but he was still getting the ball or Julio Jones or those other guys who are in that echelon in terms of skill. Uh, what can the Vikings do to get the ball to their version of that in Stefan Diggs? Well, I think a lot of what Stefanski is doing right now is actually the the smart way to go about it. And he's kind of settling in on Thielen and Diggs as the two wide receivers on the field. And then a different cast of either we'll bring Irv Smith or we'll bring CJ Ham on the field or a couple different ways to go about it. Maybe on third and long, they'll bring in Ola BC Johnson as the wide receiver three. But um, the way they have it set up, it kind of reminds me of McVay's offense last year with very condensed sets. So um, while Thielen might be... Um, Technically, an outside, he might be a wide receiver in terms of how you know wide, as in far from the from the formation. He's still a pretty tight split. And then if Diggs is on the other side of him, then he's you know he's kind of the slot receiver there too. So in either case, Thielen's really getting to show off his his slot skills. He's really um, a prototypical big slot receiver in that he stems his routes really well, um, sets up his breaks really well. He's not the most explosive out of his breaks compared to especially compared to like Diggs, but. Um, he's just very well setting up leverage in, in when he moves on his routes. And when he faces tight coverage, he's very good at keeping on his line in his routes. So they're setting Thielen up really well there. And then um, with Diggs, you know, he sees a lot more press coverage, I think, just because teams know that, you know, he's it used to be he used to struggle with press coverage. And now he's gotten so much better off his release that. He's good against press, but you know he's better. You're better off pressing him, even though he's very good against press, than you are playing off coverage because he's just so deadly out of his breaks once he gets going in his routes. So that's kind of their plan for the two receivers going forward right now, and I think it's working. And I think what we need to do in order to make the offense more efficient is just throw them the ball more often, especially in those second and long situations. Stefanski has been uh, has a tendency to be one of the more run heavy offenses on second and long, which is kind of just I don't want to say it's a waste of a down because you do see some successful plays out of there. It's that off a decent amount of time, but um, you're, you're much better off throwing it downfield to Diggs and Thielen. We did see one example last week um, was there was a third and long and Diggs was one-on-one on the outside and Kirk saw, you know, like uh, he saw they had middle of the field closed coverage. So he threw up a fade to Diggs and that was actually the right call because Diggs had won um, off his release and he was going to be open downfield on the fade. But the problem is, the ball placement was a little inside, so Diggs wasn't able to make a play on the ball. But that's the kind of thing you can do to generate more targets for Diggs. And then just generally, I think Cousins kind of um, tends to look to Thielen as his first read a little more often. So if they can design it so that they're looking at, th- at Diggs downfield more often, that would be a good play. But, uh, you know, like this last week with the Giants, so much of the strategy was those those play action crossers to Thielen, which was just money for, you know, every single time we did it in the first half. So, um there's nothing wrong with that because if it's working and the offense is moving, you know, I don't think Diggs is going to be unhappy if uh, the team is winning games. So um, there, there are a few different ways, but I think the most basic thing um, isn't even a scheme thing. It's just pass the ball more. So All right. Well, uh, you mentioned it there. So, Eric, I'm going to have you jump in. You know, we played a game. It was a game that I feel like most everyone had, had probably not even penciled and written in, in, in ink that uh, it was going to be a win against the Giants, and even more so once uh, you know Saquon 
was gone. You know, he's a running back, but he's maybe one of the, the few running backs who maybe moves the needle a little bit with the skills that he brings, the amount of volume and touches and passes and everything that they get to him. Uh, so I think that, you know, most of us were, were pretty confident. Nick was confident, not like full chest out confident, but Nick was feeling like we were going to win this one too. Eric, what did you take away from this game? Because, you know, as it went, as the script was, was written, the Vikings put a beat down on him. But, you know, from a, a PFF perspective, what were the big takeaways from uh, the Vikings beat down of the Giants? Well, I mean, the I think that Daniel Jones is not the player that, you know, he lo- that his stats look like against Tampa. I think he had like a perfect passer rating under pressure in that game. And then against the Vikings, his passer rating when pressured, I believe, was like four and a half. Like not his yards, but his like, you know, passer rating, which is difficult to do, um, which yes. means, you know, the Vikings were not only putting pressure on him, they were covering. Um, at the same time, I was very disappointed in Xavier Rhodes again. Not only did he come up lame for seemingly like the 10th straight game, but he also got beat a few times. Um, one of the, the nice takeaways, I, and I actually don't have his grade in front of me, but just watching the game. Uh, along with a few other games at the time, I thought Mike Hughes looked great. Um, I'm really, I think that 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 guy is the, you know, a huge part of this defense's future. You're right. So he had a good grade for Mike. He only gave up 39 passing yards on 10 targets against three pass breakups. So just a great game out of him. Uh, Wayne's only gave up nine yards in coverage on seven targets. Uh, so like you get. Mackenzie Alexander back. Barr and Kendricks are playing pretty well in coverage. Harrison Smith uh, and Anthony Harris is a, are a really good safety duo. I think that that defense can really do some things, um, and, and it, it sets the table for Kirk. And you know, I know running backs don't matter and all that kind of stuff. The thing I took also away from that game is Dalvin Cook is probably the best running back in the NFL. There was a play that he strung out to the sideline, and he was very patient and slow, and all of a sudden he turned the corner like it was nothing and a guy tried to trip him up and he like kept his feet in a way that I had not seen a running back do in quite some time. So honestly, like the takeaway was if, if Kirk cousins can play up to the competition, I, I still think they got a shot to be a pretty good team. Uh, and, and we saw him play well, you know, more than the competition on Sunday. Now that they have a home game against a pretty good Eagles team, the favorite to win the uh, NFC East now, uh, that remains to be seen. But ultimately, everything else, the table is set for Kirk, is kind of what I took away from the game on Sunday. Yeah, so Nick, I guess we'll get you to hop in. What were your thoughts on uh, on how that game went? And I know you were nervous going in, but the Vikings handled business. What were your big takeaways in terms of how they went about putting the beats on the uh, on the New York Giants? Yeah, so it was another kind of blowout win, comfortable uh, cruising towards a victory for the most part there. Um, there was a lot of big positives. I think Daniil Hunter uh, tied the record for most sacks by anyone under 25 years old. Uh, he currently looks like one of the best edge defenders in the NFL. Um, and that's exciting to see. And what's crazy is I think Everson Griffin is the even better pass rusher between the two. He looks better than ever. Eric Kendricks is having an all-pro caliber season. Not just like he's not just a good linebacker, but he he's honestly playing like as good as any linebacker in the NFL right now. Um, I think he's second in the NFL in run stops and he's second in the NFL in pass breakups among all defenders, not just um, cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers among all of them. So 
Um, and then, you know, Harris and Smith are playing like <laughs> Anthony Harris and Harrison Smith, not just Harrison Smith, are uh, playing like the best safety duo in the NFL or may maybe up there with the Bills duo. Um, uh, but yeah, I agree with Eric. Uh, Rhodes had a shaky game, gave up that long touchdown, um, gave up a couple other first downs, committed a couple more penalties on top of that. But Mike Hughes looked good, and Trey Wayne's outside of that defensive pass interference field, th the defensive pass interference call that gave up like 41 yards, which I actually didn't think was that good of a call, um, has looked pretty good too. So this defense clearly um, is, is is looking really good, and it feels like they can um, be one of the best defenses going forward. And then on offense, we actually saw, I saw some really good things, I think, from the interior of the offensive line. Maybe not Josh Klein against, um, uh, is it Wilkins that they drafted this year? Um, but I thought Pat Elfline has looked not like great, but he's looked like solid, which is a huge upgrade based on how much he struggled last year. Bradbury had his best game of the year by far, and he was completely clean in pass protection, thought he looked pretty good there. Um, and he was excellent in the run game, really climbing to the second level. He did have one holding penalty. Um, but overall, I thought it was really encouraging stuff from both of them. Um, and then, you know, we really saw uh, the Stefanski Kubiak. It wasn't a super creative offense that they were calling, but it was just the, 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 the reliance on play action. I think on over 40% of dropbacks um, was working, the, the handing off the outside zone to Dalvin Cook, and some interesting screens that they were setting up as well. Really made for an effective offense. They got in scoring position, I think, on the majority of their drives. So um, they weren't able to convert in the red zone for a couple different reasons on a couple occasions, but really just an impressive outing. The real question is, can someone like Kirk Cousins, can someone like the, the pass protection, can they repeat that kind of performance against a better team like the Eagles? So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing this weekend. Boom. Well, let's talk about it because you both alluded to it here. And it has been somewhat of the theme of the season, or maybe the career as it pertains to, to one Kirk Cousins, but this season in particular as it pertains to both Kirk and the pass protection, which is against bad teams, you know, we uh, we look okay. Against good teams, eh, not so much. So we're going in, we're playing this Eagles team. Eric, are the Eagles good? What's the deal with this team? And uh, more importantly, can they cover anyone? Well, that's the thing. I mean, we got we got a lot of flack from uh, Joe Banner over the uh, passers versus coverage, but I think the Eagles live it, right? I mean, in the game, um, you know, they, they lost the game uh, against Detroit where they really struggled to cover. They also kind of gave up some turnovers and things like that. They almost lost a game in Lambeau Field because they couldn't cover even after Devontae Adams uh, went out. And then they've kind of had some easy games, one against Washington, one against the New York Jets. Um, and so you sort of like look back um, and they're a classic example. Ronald Darby with a hamstring injury coming off of an ACL already. He's been out for a good amount of time. Uh, and then, you know, last week, you know, Sidney Drones ha has has dealt with injuries. So they're playing a guy named Orlando Skandrick, who was a guy who the Chiefs, you know, started last season was so bad that they traded for a non-drafted free agent to take his spot by the end of the season. So they are really depleted there. That being said, like, you know, the Eagles pass rush is really good. I mean, Brandon Graham right now, he has 33 total pressures, uh, three of them being sacks. Fletcher Cox is 24, none of them being sacks. Those two guys are, as far as disruptive pairs, I mean, they're going to be a bear for the Vikings to deal with. 
and so as Nick alluded to, they better, you know, bring out play action. They better be efficient on early downs. Uh, they better not get Kirk into these third down situations because I think you're going to see a lot of what they saw, you know, in the 2017 NFC Championship game, which is pressure on the quarterback uh, and, you know, a below average secondary uh, sort of having having a little bit of run. Now, they do have some players that can play back there. Rasul Douglas, uh, a former draft pick in 2017, he's had a good season so far. Malcolm Jenkins is a veteran who's a pretty, pretty damn good player. Rodney McLeod, Andrew Sandejo, an old friend, they play a lot at the safety position, but at the corner position, they are really rough. And uh, I think the Vikings can take advantage as long as they're in advantageous situations. All right, Nick, what are you going to be looking for in this matchup? Yeah, it's a really good um, lab experiment for the pass rush versus coverage example because the Eagles are so much better than the Vikings in the trenches, I think, on both sides of the ball. Uh, they've got, I, I would say, the best offensive line in football. And then they've got one of the better defensive lines, certainly between Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. That's one of the best uh, three technique and defensive end combos of anyone in the NFL. Um, and they've, you know, they continue to invest and maybe we haven't seen the, the elite play from Derek Barnett or the other guys just yet, but very talented defensive line. Um, but the, the secondary in part, because they're so banged up there, um, going up against Diggs and Thielen, that's where you want to do. And we saw them go into Philadelphia last year and win. Um, but man, was Kirk Cousins getting beaten up left and right. So, um, Kirk has been holding on to the ball as long as anyone this this year. He really can't do that going into this game um, or else he's just going to get destroyed and bad things are going to happen because uh, every quarterback tends to play a lot worse under pressure. And Kirk Cousins, maybe not last year, but historically over the course of his career, tends to be even worse at it. So uh, really needs to be on his timing in rhythm and not dropping back and doing a five-step drop back and taking three hitches and getting hesitant or else some bad things can happen. But if you get the quick passing game going, you get Diggs and Thielen in space, I think that's a, that's a good recipe to have a lot of success, especially at home. Um, though I will say I think the Eagles are a pretty underrated team in terms of just how talented they are. I think it'll help that Deshaun Jackson looks like he'll be out because he can cause a lot of problems when he's not. But even without him, they got a lot of other good skill players between their two tight ends and um, the other receivers they have going. And Carson Wentz, I think, has looked really good this year. Maybe um, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. And uh, Zimmer's defense has always kind of struggled with a quarterback who can elude pressure, who can make plays out of the pocket. So it'll be an interesting matchup. These teams, I think, um, uh, they play against each other's strengths and weaknesses really well in a lot of different ways. So it'll be an interesting test. All right, so Eric, you know, you both laid it out for me, but now I need you to, to, you know, lay some money down for me here. Tell me who are you picking in this matchup. Which yeah, way are you I going? think uh, you know, Vikings are favored by about a field goal, which would suggest that these two teams are relatively equal on a neutral site. I don't think that that's actually the case if the Eagles are completely healthy, um, but given, as Nick said, um, you know, they're going to be probably playing JJ Arcega Whiteside. Uh, more without Deshaun Jackson. Nelson Aguilar has struggled holding on to the football. Uh, and Alshon Jeffrey, uh, you know, ha- is always seemingly banged up. Um, Wentz has been uh, one of our, like, top two or three graded quarterbacks in the NFL. He has, I believe, among quarterbacks with a certain number of snaps, he led the league in drops. So his offense is, like, not he had, doesn't have great yards per attempt and all that kind of stuff, but he has a lot of drops against him. So I think his process has been good this year. 
if I had to pick this game straight up, I'd probably pick the Vikings. I have them with about a 58% chance of winning the game outright. If I had to pick the game against the spread, I would probably take the points and with the Eagles at plus three. Um, so, you know, it's kind of that either or game. Really interesting for the Vikings, though, um, in terms of what happens with these certain things. So we have the Vikings with roughly about a 40% chance to make the playoffs in a very stacked NFC and about a 20% chance to win the division since they're already 0-2 in the division right now. If they were to win this game, they their playoff percentage would go up almost to 50%. And if they lose it, it would go all the way down to, um, let's look, 27%. So this is a huge leverage game for the Vikings being a, you know, not, a conference game um, in the NFC and an NFC where, you know, there's, there might be two playoff teams out of the East. There might be three playoff teams out of the West. Uh, and then, you know, the South, Tampa Bay, Carolina are still alive. Uh, so like this is, and, and then the NFC North is the best division of them all. This is a huge game for Minnesota uh, to get a home, home win against a team uh, that, uh, that's, um, you know, has a team with a winning record. Okay. And winning record, Lord knows we need some of that or uh Another week of uh, of Kirk Cousins' record versus winning teams posted up there that you know everyone loves to see that. So so Nick, how you feeling? Eric's giving his take. You know Vikings, you know winning straight up, which is all we really want to hear. Uh, where are you going with it? Are you feeling comfortable? Are you feeling confident? Vikings taking this one home? You know it's funny. I feel a lot more confident in the Vikings after last week's win. Just looking at. Uh, you know, they're the fourth best team in the NFL by point differential. Their three wins have been just massive blowouts, and their their two losses have been closer games, you know, kind of defensive slugfest. Maybe Chicago wasn't always a close uh, a close game, but there were um, more positives than, than negatives, I think, overall in terms of expected points added per play. They're one of the top offenses, and they are uh, like a top 10 offense and maybe a top five defense. So there's a lot to really like in the, with the Vikings through five weeks from what we know so far. But at the same time, I just think the Eagles are such a good team. They're so talented, um, so so great in the trenches. And then I, I really think Doug Peterson and and um, Jim Schwartz are such talented coaches as well. So it'll be a really tough test. I do think being at home, um, you know that that that's enough of a nudge to make me think the Vikings probably come away victorious if I had to pick somebody. But man, I think this is a really close one and it's a really tough test too. So could see it going either way, but having to pick someone, I'll, I'll go with the home team. There we have it. Home team wins. And Nick and, and, and mm-hmm. Eric are very smart. So if they say it, that means it's, it's absolutely going to happen. That's how math works or something. So uh, there we go. Vikings win. Uh, before I get you all out of here, Nick, What's what you working on? What threads you cooking up? What things should we be looking for on the timeline over the course of the rest of this week as we uh, we lead up to the Eagles game? Yeah, I was thinking about doing an, an article on the Giants game or maybe on Stefanski's office generally because I've seen some people saying, oh, there's problems with the play calling. And honestly, I'm super impressed with the play calling from Stefanski. I think um, a lot of the offensive struggles have been purely execution, Kirk Cousins doing dumb things or people missing blocks. Um, but for the most part, I've been really impressed. So, um I don't have anything currently in the works, um, but if you want to keep an eye out for it, you can find me on Twitter at Nick Olson NFL. Boom. And, uh, and Eric, working hard as always. What should we be on the lookout for you this week? Well, I, if there, I don't know when this comes out, but I will be on the Wharton Moneyball podcast tomorrow on Sirius XM with 
with Cade Massey uh, of Cade Massey and Richard Thaler fame. So that I'm kind of excited about that. Um, and then kind of the same stuff. So we have the PFF forecast on Thursday afternoon as well as Monday morning. Um, and yeah, that'll, uh, a couple, you know, guest appearances here and there and, uh, yeah, just, you know, regular stuff. Um, looking forward to a fun Vikings game. Anytime that I don't have a bet on the Vikings or their opponent, I enjoy watching the game so much more. And I think this week, not to give away, uh, the product a little bit, but we, I think are pretty, uh, neutral on the Vikings game. So I'm just excited to, to watch the game. Uh, unlike uh, two weeks ago where we had the Bears against the spread uh, and I think week one where we had Atlanta against the spread, uh, I don't oh, I don't like brooding against the Vikings, uh, you know, for uh, for the brand, as they say. So uh, I'm kind of excited to watch this game and hopefully they can get some 2017 uh, NFC Championship game revenge. Boom. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, as always, gentlemen, thanks for coming on. Listeners, thanks for sticking with us. And uh, that is it. That is all. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Have a good one.